this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You know, I think when you asked me to pick a movie, I thought long and hard on all of the, you know, very moving and deep movies I've seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And instead, I just came back to the movie that I have seen probably the most amount of times in my life. Okay. Uh, the movie that was like my favorite movie when I was like an, an adolescent, I guess, <laughs> not, not, not yet a teenager. Um, and that was Undercover Brother. I used to watch that movie so frequently and it was probably like one of the movies I could quote the most uh, as, as a kid. Welcome to Open Forum. I'm your host, Michael Denzel an Afro-wearing, 1970s-obsessed undercover agent whose Venn diagram lands him in the space between Jim Kelly and Austin Powers, finds himself realizing the need for collective action rather than individual glory in his fight against the oppressive force known as The Man. Today's film is Undercover Brother, and it was chosen by Britt Bennett, author of the number one New York Times bestseller and Good Morning America book club pick, The Vanishing Half. Okay, so what about Undercover Brother? Because, <laughs> I mean, I, re- like, I think I hadn't seen it since it came out. Um, Reasonably. And I, and, and I watched it. And, you know, like, comedy doesn't always hold up, right? Like, comedy is mm-hmm. a very difficult medium to translate through generations. Um, but it, it was just like... It's so silly. I, I mean, maybe that's just the appeal of it. It's just that it's a yes. silly, silly film. It's completely silly. Um, I think there's something about it also that it feels, it feels very much of its time. Mm-hmm. Of there, this, like, this is like my half-baked thought about like, there's like a specific brand of like racial humor in the early aughts that mm-hmm. felt um so broad and also it, it felt like like you know like the comedy of racial misunderstanding it was mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of the way i think of it i think about movies like bringing down the house uh-huh. um malibu's most wanted um there was like a type of movie that the whole point of the movie was like the, every joke was just like black people are like this and white people are like that white yeah, well, exactly. Like there was, set, it's a type of movie. Like it's hard to imagine those movies being made now or existing mm-hmm. in that same way now because they feel so specific and it feels. It, and there's such like there's such strangeness. Uh, there's such strangeness when I think about those movies like existing within the same decade of like, you know, even like Barack Obama being elected and like thinking of a movie like uh, Head of State. Yeah. yeah, like the whole joke of Head of State is like 
it wouldn't it be hilarious if we had a black president <laughs> and like literally years later we did yeah so there is like something very strange and particular to me about the like race humor of that era that feels mm. different than what came before it and what we are living in now yeah Excuse me, sir, this is a restricted good God. Hey, yeah, Jeevester. Lance. Nice pants. Thank you. Undercover brother? Undercover brother? What happened to you? He had sex with a white girl, that's what. Oh, was it everything oh, I dreamed it was of? Good. She was had it? pink nipples then. Big ones. Yeah, oh, big ones. Coffee match the drink. Excuse me. And an undercover brother, it's sort of... It's both homage and satire of that seventies black exploitation era film and and hero. I thought of it in in the context of you know two thousand two. It's sort of like a black answer to Austin Powers in that Austin yeah. Powers is doing this homage and satire of James Bond and all of those kinds yes. of things, and then situating it in within seventies uh, black exploitation era, which. I feel I have mixed feelings about like I <laughs> look I love the 70s right like I love yes. the music of the 70s the fashion like all of that but it it starts out with a a bold claim the voiceover where it's like African American culture like reached its peak in the 1970s and then it like completely falls off apparently and i, I thought yes. of it in just sort of like this terms because i mean the make the people who make this movie are like products of the 70s and they're just sort of doing their nostalgia thing but then the generational warfare thing right where it's like our our time was so much better but it was there there are particular things that like they they start to depict and it's like uh in, in terms of saying that African-American culture has fall, fallen off, they show Steve yes. Urkel, um, which, <laughs> you know, Family Matters, like we, we can all look back and just say Family Matters was a terrible show. Like, yeah, I, I, I hope that we can, <laughs> we can accept that. Um, Mr. T, which I didn't, I, I mean, I didn't know <laughs> that like Mr. T was so uh, maligned by, by like folks who... <laughs> But then it does that thing, right? Like, which shows Dennis Rodman wearing the wedding dress. And it's right. it's very much like, yes, the racial humor is of a, of a particular time, but it's also like calling upon this very particular sort of black masculinist view of the world and what black yes. culture is meant to uphold. Yes, I think so. Something that I associate with that, the era that it's spoofing and also, mm. I mean, maybe not, but something about that that type of a you know the, the black macho basically mm-hmm. uh, that type of superhero which is what this character is um and i think also the other thing that builds to me um i, I think the way you says right like the movie it straddles these time periods and these generations um in, in an interesting way and i think the other thing to me that feels kind of of the early aughts is is sort of i felt there was, from what i remember experiencing and also experiencing the culture was like an anxiety about uh black republicans or an anxiety Mm. about black conservatism um and this is something i was also thinking about watching girlfriends now that's Mm -hmm. on netflix the Mm -hmm. male character in the show william is a black republican which comes up frequently it's like a source of like sort of good-natured laughter mm-hmm. in a way that it's hard to imagine that <laughs> again, <laughs> being the case now. Oh, no, it'd be, um, a, it'd be a source of scorn and ridicule. Absolutely. <laughs> and there was, like, a sense of, like, 
And the same thing also uh, in Fresh Prince, you know, mm-hmm. with Carlton being like a proud uh, black Republican. There's jokes about the Banks family living near um, the Reagans. And like, this is something that's kind of a good natured teasing about like their, their kind of class status. Um, but, you know, like in Undercover Brother, you know, part of the impetus for the plot is the Billy D. Williams character who's mm-hmm. essentially like Colin Powell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's like he's has a big announcement. They think he's going to announce that he's running for president and everybody, you know, they, they don't agree with his politics, but they're still proud of the idea that mm-hmm. he could be running for president, which, again, it's hard for me to imagine that being a feeling yeah. that would happen now. Yeah. So that feels to me very much like Bush era of... Mm-hmm. We are happy to see these black faces, which, I, like, regardless of their politics, I don't, I don't know that that's. I mean, I think some people probably feel that way, but I don't know that that's like a mainstream, reasonable feeling amongst like black. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think. I think it's changed so much, and it's it, yeah, yeah. You bring up the the Billy D. Williams general character, who very much is the Colin Powell, right? And I think yes. about this character in the context of that time in the years preceding where it's like i think it's like i remember back in back to like at least like 96 where people were like colin powell should run for president yes. colin yes. powell could win and like legit yes. black folk were like no colin powell should run yes. and people they would have voted for a republican mm-hmm. because it was colin powell and i think that he's embodies this sort of like he has this reverence because, again, a different era, different politics in which it's just like a matter of Colin Powell being representative of a certain kind of black conservatism that's a strain within, mm-hmm. a, within a communities that like we're proud to see, right? Like Colin mm-hmm. Powell's an upstanding man, an accomplished man. He has mm-hmm. risen through the ranks. He's fought the racism and then he is mm-hmm. he's emerged on the other side. Um, and it's like in the movie, it's just, they're, they're discussing it. They're like, will he run as a Democrat or an independent? And you're like, what if he's yeah. a Republican? It's like, it doesn't matter. And it's like yeah. a joke. It's like, <laughs> this would be a proud day for black people of all races. You know? <laughs> I want you to buy my new fried chicken, that is. Show enough. I used to work for the Pentagon. Now I help you to get your chicken on. And for a limited time only, order an eight-piece nappy meal and get a 32-ounce malt liquor absolutely free. Yeah, it feels of such a specific time. But I think, you know, I think of my, you know, my parents have, I believe have been registered Democrats their whole lives, or at least as long as I've been alive. But I remember them also having like a feeling of fondness about mm-hmm. a Colin Powell in a way that feels like, does anyone feel that way about like Tim Scott? Or like, <laughs> you know, like not even to get into like the Candace Owens of the world, but like, I don't know. That feels to me of such a specific moment of that, of this like kind of like, you know, these characters, like, I think of like often, I mean, I don't know about all the representations of black Republicans in media, but when I think of like William and like Carlton Banks and these, this character, there's just a good natured teasing where mm-hmm. it, it always felt like there was something kind of goofy, but it wasn't sinister in a way that, yeah. that now I don't know that you would represent a character like that. Yeah. I believe this belongs to me. And also, I, I guess the, the film has its point of view and it has its politics as messy as they may be 
But I think it also sort of points to, as we get deep on Undercover Brother, like, it points <laughs> to a way in which like Black cultural output is central to our politics. Our, our politics right like it's not it's not making any separation between these things like undercover brother is upholding blackness in his form with the big afro with the bell bottoms and the platform shoes and the black fist medallion and everything and but then he is like going in, in that that first scene where he's like being the hero he's like erasing uh the 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 mortgage uh debt from the the financial system like that you know and and he's not like and i think that there's the the conversation between these two two ideas that like they often get treated as separate spheres but like black culture has always expressed a political outlook right i think so and i think like i think that's partly why i think what is interesting or one of the things that's interesting about the movie is like it's concern with what authentic blackness Mm -hmm. Uh, and that I think as you said earlier that gets to the messiness of it Um, because you know they're on one hand it's like yeah what is you know Dennis Rodman wearing a dress why is that you know Mm. antithetical to blackness or black culture appropriate blackness Um, and obviously you know we can tease out all the obvious reasons of why uh, why the movie that's the movie's view Mm. uh, about that all the troubling reasons behind that but like there's that concern about that um, of of what makes this character authentically black, or mm. what makes something authentically black, um, yeah. and it's some and it's you know it's and I think that it kind of exists in that uneasy space that you're saying about culture and politics because as we were saying with the general character, it's not completely tied into you know it's not tied into what political party he runs as because mm-hmm. he can run as a Republican and people are still like happy, but it's sort of like what what does it actually mean? And I think that that's one of the things that I found funny and also, I don't know, the, I guess the way, one of the reasons why I think the movie just sort of appealed to me um, as a kid, aside from all the obvious silliness that you mm-hmm. described, um, was kind of that, that I, way of which like these characters exist in a world in which uh, blackness is very much the default. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way in which I think also whiteness is engaged in the movie uh, was silly and broad, but also irreverent in a way that I think I just enjoyed yeah. as, a, as a kid. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think and the, that question of like authentic blackness, you know, it's funny because like the definition shifts so much and like black culture is ever changing, ever evolving, ever growing. And it's, it's so funny to watch this uh, 2002 film and like, when Undercover Brother has sold out, right? Like, and the way yeah. that he's dressed, I'm like, a few years ago, that was the style for Black <laughs> youth, right? But like, yes. like the yes. adopting of this, like, very preppy look, right? Like, yes. so it just shows it the ever-shifting winds of Black culture. And I think one of the, my, one of my favorite sight gags uh, in the film is, like, this consistent or anything where uh, Anjanu Ellis's character, Sister Girl, she has a different hairstyle in every single scene. Um, and it's just like that that playing with like black cultural sort of mores and everything. Um, but 
but I, I did want to check them on one thing. So undercover brother, <laughs> he has to he has to undergo an education in uh, whiteness in Caucasia yes. in order to go undercover. <laughs> and they like yes. smart brother sits him down and he's like bombarded with images of like whiteness and white culture. And you uh-huh. know it's it's got an in sync soundtrack playing over top of it. <laughs> but there was one there's one thing in there that I don't think they check with their black grannies about, and that they put murder she wrote into the, to the white <laughs> and I was just look. <laughs> It'll be your most vigorous training yet. You're gonna have to think and act just like a tight butt white man with a 401k plan and a country club membership. So pay attention. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. That whole scene I get is so uh, so goofy, uh, but I like I remembered like the pinnacle of his whiteness being him recalling a scene from Friends, yes, um, which felt like yes, that felt so like such an uh, again a pro- time appropriate joke of that being the moment, um, and Neil Patrick Harris being like the white intern in this black office who has to like. Uh, affirm that he has appropriately like consumed enough white culture I mean I think that was that was also I think a thing that I I found so funny as a black kid who grew up in a like multicultural like town like I grew up in a military town so Mm -hmm. it was pretty diverse but it wasn't like black majority you know so I think to me, like to to watch a scene like that and to see whiteness represented as the foreign thing that you mm-hmm. had to like be educated in, to me, I think there was a way in which that felt right because that mm-hmm. that was like the experience of growing up in my black household and then going to school and white kids talking about friends and me being like, you know, like I didn't grow up watching Friends, mm-hmm. you know, I like I didn't, we had I didn't, the, we had the WB night and the UPN night, absolutely. <laughs> Like, absolutely. That to me was what was like normal and what I possessed, like, you know, acute knowledge about. Mm-hmm. So to see like this character experience this, you know, he has to be strapped into a chair and forced to look at these like these images of popular white culture. There was something about that that I think that just felt right and also felt like funny and irreverent. And, uh, and yeah, I think it just spoke to that experience of, you know, there's always a sense of like these these cultural works were just the norm that everyone is expected to know and if you don't know it then you are culturally deficient in some way Mm -hmm. and to see the movie like flip that on its head and actually uh experience show you these these forms of culture not only as something that's foreign but also something that is painful (laughs) this character to experience was something that i think i also just found really funny yeah. And obviously still do. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hell wrong with you bringing a white girl in my house, boy? She's working with us now, Chief. For all the messiness of the, the politics of Undercover Brother, I do feel like there are some subversive things or things that can translate to now that maybe, I don't, I don't know how explicit they were in the filmmaking process, but did speak to me. Like, the one, one thing, the uh, first thing I want to tackle, like, 
you know, the, the enemy obviously is the man, right? And the, the man has his organization, has his henchmen, and Chris Kattan plays Mr. Feather. Uh, this really just over-the-top character. But what, yes. what you see with him as a henchman of the man is that constantly, like, he is engaging Black culture, right? Like, he has a whole dance scene to, to Mary J. Blige. <laughs> he says, he, he drops that very early, very specifically early aughts, for sheezy, my kneesy, like, all of this stuff's <laughs> creeping into him. And then he has, like, sort of a breakdown in, in anger, like, comedic anger of being mm-hmm. like, they're, they're taking over, like, it's you see what it's doing to me. But it, it is just being, like, there's that white resentment that like black culture is so appealing and like yes. their desire to maintain a desire to maintain control to always be an operative for white supremacy but to constantly find yourself enthralled with black people <laughs> yes i love that scene because you can just see like i can just picture in my mind where like his hips start kind of moving <laughs> and there's like this involuntary feeling you know when you hear the song where you kind of have to move to it uh, but yeah but I think also I mean to me that also feels you know again specific uh, to an era in which black culture was becoming the predominant American culture of, mm. you know throughout the 90s and throughout the aughts and now I think it's hard to dispute like it's weird to it's weird if you did not live through it to think of like yeah there was a time in which you know like something like hip-hop was considered like unto itself and was not just popular music um in the way of now we think of it as popular music but i think that's also i think part of it is this this sort of uh you know anxiety i think i think still um but i think also especially at that time this white anxiety about black culture becoming you know one of the uh predominant forms of culture in america yeah okay and uh, to to that i just like you you mentioned sort of like hip-hop taking over there was another joke in there that i don't know it just makes me laugh so much is when like the they've they've been enacting this plan with the high school um with the drug that's supposed to you know take over black communities and they've been disseminating it through general fried chicken which is the general's you know uh like new adventure that he takes on instead of running for president um i'm gonna be completely honest i would order a nappy meal not even even i thought i thought so much about general's fried chicken during the you know great chicken sandwich wars of our of our time um so yeah i and also the the, i have to say the theme song was catchy i'm not gonna lie it was catchy but it, like so, then they extend it, and they're like trying to to infiltrate like more entertainment and sports and all. And they just have this one picture. It's like Jay Z does Lawrence Welk's greatest hit. Like I don't know if it was just the the gag in the film or just like imagining it, like the yes. idea. Of it. it was just hilarious to me. So good. Roots. Maybe you've heard of it. It taught me such a profound lesson about bigotry. I have sat on the sidelines of race relations long enough. I want to march down that field of oppression and kick that ball of bigotry right over the goalpost of intolerance. The other thing that I felt like probably translates, I mean, it's messy in its depiction, but translates to a politics of our time, or at least like, something that has shifted um, 
in uh, the character of the white she-devil, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, they recognize the undercover brother has tried to infiltrate, uh, and now the man's organization has to deploy a secret weapon, yes. black man's kryptonite, black is that they call it, yes. white she-devil. <laughs> um, and they go through this, and, and undercover brother sells out, and all of this, and he has to be reminded of his blackness and his authenticity, where he comes from, by sister girl. And then they have this moment where White She-Devil has a gun on Sister Girl and Undercover Brother. And then she shoots the security guards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I feel like one, where there's this, like, there's, there's, there's two parts to that to me. There's the one part in which it's like, there's a recognition in popular culture, right? Like, this has been in Black feminist discourse forever, but a recognition in popular culture that white women could be participants and foot soldiers for white supremacy. And then there's the moment of you have to be a traitor in order for any of this to work. Now, the reasons that she has become a traitor, (laughs) those get into some messy sexual politics, but... (laughs) But there is that sort of representation here of an idea that like, no, it's not just the man. White women have played a role in the maintenance of white supremacy. Yes. I have to say also, so another personal connection to Undercover Brother, um, which is that White She-Devil is played by Denise Richards, who Mm -hmm. went to my high school. Um, She's the the biggest celebrity to have graduated from my high school. So that was uh, just another fun fact. Um, Uh, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the role of white she-devil, and I think, like, as you're saying, like, there's so much, uh, sexual politics, um, within the movie that also feels very much, like, of conversations and anxieties, um, happening in the sort of black flotation era, and these, you know, like I said, black macho, and, and mm-hmm. these kind of beliefs of black male sexuality and all of that, all of that definitely um, comes out in it. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think the idea of white she-devil, I just remember the scene where they're in the gap and, <laughs> and sister girl is like undercover trying to like real undercover brother back. In, mm-hmm. in, uh, but he's like shopping for some khakis with white she-devil because <laughs> he's is, he is fully sold out at that point. Um, and you see like this mo- this moment of friction between the two of them where they're kind of warring over his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think the movie, uh, the way that it engages, as you said, in the role of white women, um, is, is, you know, interesting and messy because I think, at fir- you know, at first, like white she devil just seems like. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much agency it seems like she has really at first. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the moment where she kind of flips sides is like the moment where you truly see her exercise that agency. Uh, but it's unclear, like, how much of it is she's kind of this, you know, tool of the man and how much of it is her setting out to do this thing. And I think that that haziness is also, I think, the way in which, you know, the role of white women and white supremacy. I mean, I think that's why this sort of, Karen has become, I think one of the reasons why it's become delightful uh, for people is that it actually positions white women in an active role in maintaining white supremacy. It's not just like, like, oh, you're being kind of deployed by this, you know, this white patriarch in the way that often thought of 
of white women. But it's like, no, being active participants in maintaining white supremacy, mm. which also inversely means that you can be an active participant in turning you know, away from it and fighting white supremacy. He said he would stick his foot up my so-called patootie. Damn it. I knew this could happen. You can only keep an agent undercover for so long before he loses his identity. Hell, no man can resist low-interest loans and non-fat lattes forever. And white women. Lance also has a, a moment that it, where he turns and like he he's an intern at the Brotherhood and like just doesn't understand the struggle yes. apparently, and <laughs> he's only there because of affirmative action. <laughs> just, just, uh, but then he uh, then he watches Roots, and now he's like, I get it, <laughs> and and it was just it was like. I think you're overestimating like, <laughs> what he's <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. And I think, I mean, I think again, like Lance, <laughs> the role of the role of Lance and I think also speaks to, again, like I was saying, like the broadness of the, the racial humor of that time mm. of him being like the most broad kind of bumbling white dude imaginable uh, in, in the office. Like I remember when he, says that he watched Roots, he says it like, like it's like a, like a, something that nobody has heard of before. Like, it's like, like he discovered something very rare, but I think, I think it was called Roots. <laughs> so, um, which is also very funny, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you have, I think, I think that's why also like the movie, it, it, it's like, a, like I said, it's a movie that feels definitely nostalgic because it's nostalgic for the seventies and it's all the reasons that we said, but it also feels to me, it feels nostalgic for a time in which we, I mean, maybe this is too cynical, but it feels nostalgic for a time in which we believe that white people would make that type of turn. Mm. Like, it's nostalgic mm. for a time in which something like that did not, I mean, sounded, I think, I think it's played for humor and, like, sounds like a joke. But the idea of, I mean, most of, I think, if not, from what I remember, like, most of the white characters have these kind of moments of, mm. like, reckoning or moments of, of turning in a way that I don't like you think about something um I mean I don't know I don't know what like a parallel to this type of like comedy would be now but I even I think of something like get out and it's mm. like you know, I think the first time I watched get out like I don't know that I seriously thought that you know his girlfriend was in on it like yeah. I think I did really want to believe that that this white woman was going to be like, that she was going to be, you know, like unaware that all of this really shadowy stuff was happening. And I'm like, afterwards I was like, why, like, why did I want to think that? Like, why was I willing to believe that when in fact, like the opposite seems way more likely. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that seemed like what actually happens seems like, yeah, of course this is her family. Like, of course she's not going to not know. But I was invested in believing that about this this white female character in a way that the movie does not like reward that reading yeah. of it. So so it feels like you know obviously a different genre, different type of movie, but it feels so different in how it thinks about the role and like complicity yeah. of white people, particularly white women, and not this like well once they once they realize you know you know history or once they realize how they have harmed somebody they will like turn mm-hmm. um that feels like such a yeah that feels like such a vestige of a different time like that type of a comedic turn absolutely Brit, 
what is one lasting image that sticks with you from Undercover Brother? <laughs> so many. I mean, I think one is just, you know, as far as like gags, like visual gags where Undercover Brother, he has to, you know, fashion, they have to fashion him like uh, tools for when he has to go undercover the white world and um, one of them is like a watch that squirts out hot sauce for when he has to <laughs> when he has to eat white food, which is I just remember when when White She Double makes like the sandwich for him and she smears a truly ungodly amount of mayonnaise on the sandwich. It's honestly the hardest part of the movie for me it to watch. Really, it really is, and like the sound it makes, I don't know what they did in creating the sound because it's truly the most disgusting like wet plop and when he bites into the sandwich it's like a part of you dies like so that i definitely remember but i think also like to me i think it's it's got to be that scene of him being strapped to this uh this chair forced to consume um you know in sync videos (laughs) that felt uh so funny and also to me so memorable and i think one of the things like i said that i that i do think that i do now in hindsight like was actually quite like smart and good was the way that it yeah the way that it decentered this white culture and uh and centered black culture and black politics and tied them together in the way that we said which i think is a thing i think and all of its messiness that i think i still do enjoy great thanks so much for joining me thanks thanks for having me thanks for listening to open forum a podcast from lit hub radio produced by justin alvarez and hosted by me michael denzel smith Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Next week, trip to the Golden Age Hollywood studio system for an old-fashioned screwball comedy. 